Ballarat Talks is produced by Futari Media and Audio Concierge and is brought to you with the support of Better Business Ballarat. Welcome to Episode 5. I'm Chris Ashmore. This episode, I talk with Federal Member of Parliament Catherine King, who's represented the electorate of Ballarat since November 2001 and has won her seat five times. She was Labor Minister for Road Safety briefly in Julia Gillard's government and then Minister for Regional Australia, Local Government and Territories in Kevin Rudd's second government and promoted into the Cabinet. Today, Catherine King's Shadow Minister for Health and Medicare. I spoke with her in her Ballarat office about a range of issues, including what it's like to walk the corridors of power in Parliament House. But first... She describes how technology has brought a lot of changes since those first days she was elected as an MP. Catherine King, you've been a Member of Parliament for 16 years now. Um, What's changed for you? What have you learned as a parliamentarian in that time? Well, I think the first thing that's really changed is the way in which people access their members of parliament. So, you know, in 2001, when I was first elected, email was a bit of a thing, but not much of a thing, whereas now I would get hundreds of emails every single day. Uh, people use that technology, I think, also expect an answer to, the, to um, their queries instantaneously. And with that sheer volume that you have, it's very difficult to actually uh, do that. Um, but apart from that, you know, the, the issues haven't really change. They're the same sorts of things about people being able to but have opportunities in their lives and access healthcare and education and jobs and live lives that are meaningful and well. So that's really the sorts of issues people come to see me about constantly. But certainly technology has meant the accessibility of politicians. Twitter wasn't didn't exist then or any of those things. So I can imagine you know, the, the forms that people can communicate with you from uh, are much more increased, which means the workload has increased substantially since I first started. It was pretty big when we started and it's increased ever since exponentially every year. When you started you were in opposition for six years um, before the famous historic Kevin 07 election. Um, Do you think being in opposition first actually helps as a stepping stone of sorts before plunging deep into um, government? Look, I think it's not a, an area that I would prefer to be in, to be honest. You obviously want to be in government because that's where you can affect uh, change from and, and implement the ideas that you've got to change people's lives. So, uh, But I think it is, from a new member's point of view, it's actually good to come in into opposition because you get a bit of time as a backbencher to learn your craft, understand the, you know, the parliament, how that works, understand your constituency better, and you do get time to do that uh, in opposition. Uh, I had the first six years of my career in opposition. We then had six years in government uh, and now we've been in opposition again. Um, I'm pretty keen for us to get back into government as quickly as we can. In your maiden speech way back in 2002, you said you would like to give particular attention to those issues that impact on Australians living outside the metropolitan cities. What are some of those challenges you see for regional communities, especially, of course, 
for Ballarat, people of Ballarat, the families of Ballarat? Well, I think there's both challenges and incredible opportunities. And I've seen, um, I think, you know, anyone living here will have seen the massive change just over the course of the last 10 years. And what we're experiencing is typically the growth in population in Ballarat was people coming in from the Western districts um, for health, access to healthcare services as they were starting to retire off, off the land, in essence. And now the population growth is being driven by a very different demographic, uh, people in their 30s, no connection with Ballarat, coming here for housing, interested in establishing new businesses, interested, you know, the NBN has actually driven some of that, which has been fantastic. New restaurants starting up, new arts and culture. Uh, so I think for a town like Ballarat, as we, and we've been in transition from, you know, a manufacturing town for a long period of time, I think those opportunities are really coming. The challenge is, is how do you share those opportunities equally? Because, you know, not everyone who's been involved in small to medium enterprise manufacturing is suddenly going to operate a cafe you know that's the reality of life here so part of you know my job is trying to remind people constantly that that there are you know new people coming in but there's also people who are struggling and how do we actually try and um, you know ensure that the growth that's happening in the town is actually shared equally across the across the town and that's not an always easy thing to do and lots of regional communities are experiencing that uh, I've just spent Tuesday with the Royal Flying Doctor Service in um, we started off in Wyala I went to a you know station on Commonwealth Hill and then to a small rail town and you sort of think we have challenges here in Ballarat it's nothing compared to the sorts of challenges of just accessing basic services in some of our communities that are you know not really that far away from us. Now you're currently the opposition spokesperson for health Um, what health issues do you see we face in Australia particularly rural and regional areas that don't necessarily get the same support or the same services as the cities How do we address those health issues? So, I mean, the first issue is that we know that the burden of disease. So people, the further you go out from capital cities, the um, sicker or more burden of chronic disease you have in those areas. And they can be due to factors of smoking, isolation, access to services, uh, and a range of other other factors that sort of hit hit us as we move out from the major capital cities. And that's really something that we have to address as part of health inequality. Of course, the other uh, issue is survival rates. So things like survival rates from cancer are less if you live in rural areas and those survival rates again the five-year survival rates that's been really important so one of the critical parts is access to services how do you actually make sure people have access to general practitioners you know good quality general practitioners how do you make sure people have access to allied health services Uh, and how do you also then work in the preventative health space of trying to get people active and moving we're not talking about you know let's play footy every week or be part of a sporting club they're actually just walking around standing up at desks, standing up in classrooms, actually getting people moving more, uh, thinking about diet in a different way and actually having access to good information about how you keep yourselves healthy. So those sorts of things. Um, of course, we've got you know our fantastic public hospitals, but they're groaning at the moment as well. So how do we fund them properly into the future to make sure we're dealing with people who are increasingly getting into hospital uh, very, very ill? Lots of issues. Well, you talked about the um, benefits of exercise and yeah. that kind of thing for the health and that leads me to the what's been in the news quite a lot recently it's always in the news but particularly now the obesity crisis um, the heart foundation a couple of years ago analyzed abs data and found that um, a third of people in ballarat are obese and we're one of the fattest um, communities in victoria how do we combat those issues is it tax on sugar 
I think the most um, effective policies I've seen so far, there's probably two. Uh, one is the Victorian uh, Labor government, again, had a program called Healthy Communities Together, which they trialled throughout 13 communities across the state. And they were very focused on how do we get kids moving at school? How do we uh, go into workplaces, provide people with education about you know what their blood pressure, what their sugar levels are doing? How do we actually then work with those um, employers to actually get programs in place to help people think about their health in a different way? Um, those programs unfortunately got defunded. They were um, funded partly by the federal government, so got defunded as part of the sort of 2014 uh, budget, uh, which cut pretty much everything out of the health budget you could think of. Those sorts of programs are actually really effective. And I've seen um, the Hamilton community, which admittedly is calling for a tax on sugar-sweetened beverages, but they've been doing a lot of that work just in Hamilton alongside Deakin University. And those sorts of really community-based activities, I think we're starting to see there's a lot of evidence around those. Tax on sugar-sweetened beverages, you know, it's not our Labor's policy uh, to do that. Um, I'm aware the UK, though, is bringing that policy uh, in, and I'll watch that with interest to see what that actually does. But I think it's actually a, a multi-pronged attack that you actually have to have in communities that engages people in their own health. Well, if we turn away from, um, say, political issues and, and look at your life as a politician and being constantly on the road in Canberra, what's a typical week for you? <laughs> Um, well, there probably isn't a typical week. The weeks that are the most typical would be the Canberra weeks because there is a rhythm to those that is set around you know, question time, around parliamentary speeches, around when our party um, rooms meet. So um, Canberra probably is the, it's not the easiest bit of the job, but it's the bit that has the most structure around it at any one point in time. So I know exactly when I have to be there. The parliamentary sitting calendar comes out at the end of each year. You know which weeks you're going to be away and that's the, the you know, you don't necessarily know what issues are going to come up what you're going to be battling but um, that's the sort of dynamic of it and I've got a terrific team of personal staff up in Canberra who um, you know keep an eye on a lot of that stuff as well um, but here in Ballarat it can be anything you know, last night I was out at um, a Marble Drug Action Network talking to parents who have children who have suffered from drug addiction and listening to you know them uh, talk about their concerns that they have about how they're trying to grapple finding services and how they deal with the legal system in the middle of all of all of that so so, you know, that um, saw my day finish about 10 o'clock last night uh, and I'd started, I think, relatively early having to do school drop-off for my little boy and um, then you know, planned through the rest of the day with meetings and other activities. So it's pretty variable. There's not many jobs you get that you, you know, you're not 100% sure what you're actually going to be doing in the day and you could have anything thrown up at you. So that's good fun, though. And what's it like in Parliament House. I've been there at the start of last year and uh, of any building I've been to anywhere in the world, it's probably the most opulent place that I've been inside. What's it like in the corridors there? Um, look, we forget, like it's a workplace and, you know, for me, uh, I'm now heading into, I think, 16 years of working in that building and I worked there as a staffer a long time ago as well, so I've worked in that building before. So it's my workplace, but one of the lovely things about my job is that lots of my school's grade five and six classes come up to Parliament House. I think we had um, Gordon Primary School up there not that long ago and that always reminds me about, you know, it is wow. It's a pretty amazing building. The gardens are beautiful, the artwork's beautiful, 
um, the office space is beautiful. And then, you know, you're walking around and suddenly the Prime Minister will walk past or something. And for me, that's a really good reminder that it is a pretty rare workplace. But I keep telling people uh, and kids as well, you know, this is your place. It's the people's, you know, particularly the House of Reps, it's the people's house. And, you know, you have every right to be part of this place and understand it. And it's important that you do understand it because the decisions that are made there uh, affect everything that you do and can do in your lives. So that's a nice thing about the job is having kids up and actually reminding you that, yeah, wow, it's a big deal um, being here, but also it's a pretty important part of our nation. Well, there's a, there's a famous quote by French philosopher Joseph Demaitre who said, every nation gets the government it deserves. And uh, even Oprah Winfrey has said that uh, America will get the president it deserves. This was before Trump was actually elected, so perhaps she had other thoughts afterwards. But what are your thoughts on this? Do we deserve the government we get? Um, I think the you know the great democratic tradition we have here in Australia is compulsory voting, and I know people complain about that at times and say we should get rid of it, etc. It means that everybody has a say. So even if you don't like the outcome and it's not the outcome that you would have wanted, you have actually had the opportunity to decide that, and it means that you've got a stake in the decision as well. So I think that for Australia particularly, you know, the system of compulsory voting is is critically important because it does mean everyone has some ownership over the decision and I always love despite the fact that we have informal voting and all of those things happening uh, when you're handing out on election day people have got this real sense of civic pride as they come out I've done my civic duty and I've decided and I've put my vote down who I expect to be elected I think politics is becoming increasingly more complex and I think again this sort of notion um, that we have uh, so many mediums that people are gathering information from and not necessarily traditional news services it also means the sort of rise of the celebrity candidate who comes in and says what people want to hear but doesn't necessarily have the sort of rational capacity to then implement any of those things because some of them are actually just not possible to do. There's a bit of that and I worry sometimes that people get attracted to the the colourful, the bright, the shiny, the funny, the you know crazy uh, and as a result of that we sometimes get parliaments that do very odd things and are very challenging but you know that's the way it is so you just have to deal with it. Well how do you balance what's good for the nation and what's good for your electorate. There's this kind of a um, challenge there. Well, often um, there's a there can be a tension there, but I think one of the sort of you know decisions you make when you want to join a political party is what is your values? You know, what are the things that are most important to you, uh, and what's driving you to become a politician? And so, you know, I obviously joined the Australian Labor Party because I believe very firmly in inclusion and that people should have as much opportunity as anyone else, not, not um, just dependent on what sort of wealthy family you're born into or what school you're able to go to. So that underpins. You know, pretty much the values that I take to decisions. I think that it's been really lovely to see, you know, economists, even you know, some right-wing economists now start to talk about inclusive growth. It's all very well to have economic growth, but what's the point of it if you're not actually helping deal with inequality? And I think that's one of the things we've seen at the moment is this really growing inequality and people angry about that inequality, and that's not good for 
anybody, let alone for the entire community. So for me, trying to challenge some of those perceptions about, well, you know, welfare is actually a really important part of our, our social safety net. And the reason that you have that is to try and lift people up out of poverty so they can participate in economic life. Uh, and if you don't have those things, then you do end up with greater crime rates, you end up with your cities not livable, you end up, end up with homelessness, all of those things that happen. So trying to actually say there's big important issues that we decide in Canberra that actually have a really significant impact here is part of what drives most of the people on the Labor side of politics. Final question, Catherine. What keeps you grounded when you're away from here or, or when you are here <laughs> yeah. dealing with all these issues? How do you stay level-headed despite being in the public gaze constantly? Um, I think a couple of things. I think um, I will attribute you know, fantastic, beautiful parenting by my parents. My mum has since passed away, but um, you know, having great people in your life who um, have, have raised you, um, give you good values to start with. I think equally, you know, I've got a husband who will just tell me off immediately if he thinks I'm getting you know, too silly, <laughs> so he just tells me off. And I've got a nine-year-old, so you know, I have to um, you know, take him to school and there's nothing like a nine-year-old bringing you down a peg or two pretty quickly, I can tell you now. He'll just he amusingly... Um, because you know people know who I am at his school and they call me Catherine King so he now calls me Catherine King at home <laughs> so I always get Catherine King I don't agree with you on this matter <laughs> so I get that quite a bit at home so that that sort of grounds you we've got a couple of beautiful puppies at the moment too our dogs who are completely crazy and chewing half the house apart at the moment so all of those things I think life keeps you grounded Catherine King what a great way to finish thank you good to talk to you as well That's it for episode five of Ballarat Talks. We hope you've enjoyed this week's story. If you have any suggestions for topics or know people with interesting stories to tell, please email me at chris at ballarattalks.com.au. Check out our website at ballarattalks.com.au. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook with the handle at Ballarat Podcast. If you liked it, please leave a comment or a review. This episode was brought to you with the support of Better Business Ballarat, a networking and mentoring community for businesses in Ballarat. The group meets every third Friday at the Hop Temple. For more information, go to betterbusinessballarat.com.au. Ballarat Talks was produced by Fatari Media and Audio Concierge. I'm Chris Ashmore. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.